now serving butter and bacon. The good stuff. Hi, welcome to Butter and Bacon. We discuss the good stuff of Disney, and we neglect to download recordings that we make. So, yeah, this is a Oops, I'm Sorry episode to Scotty Boy 4, who joined us to detail some great offerings that he had attended, but will attend again, so we're going to re-record with him at a later date. However, this is going out to you, so... Scotty, here's your request and dedication.
novelty Round about the turn of the century Folks discovered a barrel of fun Taking pictures by the light of the sun Smile, hug, look at the camera Hold your breath and say cheese Cheese, little did they realize back then They were making memories Making memories, making memories Taking pictures is making memories Catching little pieces of time Making them yours And making them mine Birthday faces and happy places We love to hold near and dear And when we're making memories Happy days can reappear
photography, candid shots of baby at play. Photo finishes. Tight as it may. Hey, don't look into the camera. Let's be natural, please. And with every single shot we take, we'll make it memories. Making memories, making memories, taking pictures is making memories, catching little pieces of time.
to a Hollywood that never was and always will be. The Disney MGM Studios <laughs> theme park. The dream comes true. A behind the scenes look at the magic of special effects, Disney's newest cast of characters, and a ride that goes beyond any Disney's done yet into the middle of the movies. That and more coming up in the next hour. Hi, I'm Kathleen Sullivan, the Walt Disney World Ambassador, here at the new Disney MGM Studios theme park at the Walt Disney World Resort. This spectacular movie playground celebrated its grand premiere just last week, and all the stars came out in dazzling style. During the next hour, we'll be taking you on a very revealing tour of this new Disney dream come true. Your guides will be the Disney Imagineers and decision makers who took a Walt Disney original idea and turned it into state-of-the-art reality. Stay tuned, you're going to see Disney entertainment as you've never seen it before. The Disney MGM Studios theme park is a new dimension in Disney entertainment, dedicated to exploring and enjoying movies from every angle. It's also a production studio that upstages just about any in the motion picture industry. The dream came true May 1st, 1989, but the idea behind the dream dates back as far as Walt Disney himself. I think Walt Disney wanted to do a tour of a motion picture facility before he did Disneyland. And I've gone through our archives and I've seen stuff that Walt Disney drew for the studio tour in Burbank. And he was going to use part of Griffith Park and the monorail and all those things that he was working on for the studio tour in, in Burbank went to Anaheim as part of Disneyland. So we're really bringing back to this country the first idea of Walt Disney, which was to make the making of motion pictures interesting for a guest to see. When I built the studio over there, I thought, well, gee, we ought to have a, a, a really a three-dimensional thing that people could actually come and visit. They can't visit our studio. The rooms are small. So I had a, a little dream for Disneyland of joining the studio. When Michael Eisner and Frank Wells arrived on the scene in 1984, they greeted Walt's unrealized dream with open ears and some magic visions of their own. What really happened, if you look at the historical thread in the company of the studio tour, was this 40-year-old idea, and then later, Walt's fulfillment of the ultimate idea of, of, of a total world, of Walt Disney World, and all the, you know, the 28,000 acres as composed to what he was up against in Anaheim, where the company can only afford the limited amount to just build the Magic Kingdom. Bringing that down here, starting out with another Magic Kingdom, Walt's vision of the future with Epcot Center, and still so much land and, and such a fulfillment of a legacy to go, that it was, it was the most natural thing in the world to turn to this idea that had been laying there on the shelves for all these years, that also matched up with our new aggressiveness in making films, and out, and out came the studio tour. Out came the decision for a studio's tour, 
And in came a core of Walt's legacy, Imagineers. Initially, there was a group of about 10 concept people that I led in California in just coming up with the, the, the ideas. Um, the initial ideas for the great movie ride came out of those sessions, the initial ideas for the television theater, um, ideas about specially designing a studio so that you wouldn't have a closed set. You'd have the opportunity to, to look through every aspect of production. Throughout the conceptual phase, ideas kept flowing and the project kept growing. Not a lot of people know this, but when we first got the idea, it was to build a smaller studio tour uh, as just part another attraction at Epcot Center. And we looked at it, and I can remember Michael saying, it's fantastic, there's just one thing that's wrong with it. That's too small. Well, I think the one thing where we're really fortunate today, Michael Eisner, who is our chief executive officer, and Frank Wells, our chief operating officer, they're really willing to step up and really go forward with a lot of exciting ideas. And yeah, it was gutsy. But so was Disneyland in 1955, so was Walt Disney World in 1971, so was Tokyo Disneyland in 1982. We started out here with a relatively small park that was going to be a half a day experience for guests and was going to be a kind of a fun, small complement to the other two parks. And each time Michael came over to WED to look at it, he added another attraction or he added another idea or we were foolish enough to come up with another idea and he always liked it. And as a result, what we ended up with was a park that's much bigger than I think any of us envisioned at the beginning. Michael's relentless enthusiasm saw the original 10 Imagineers grow to 60 in number. And before the official groundbreaking ceremony took place in 1986, engineers, architects, color specialists, entertainment experts, a cast of hundreds had sleeves rolled up, pencils sharpened, and imaginations in high gear. I know that this is going to be a, a marvelous spot for a, a studio and a, and a tour because you've got the people for it and everything else and, the, and this wonderful sunshine and it, uh, it, it should be one of the, the greatest places in, uh, in the world. A preview center opened in the Walt Disney World Magic Kingdom and construction of the vast new Disney MGM Studios theme park was officially underway. The Earful Tower earmarked the site with a 32,000 pound Mouseketeer hat measuring 28 and a half feet in diameter. Human hat size, 342 and 3 eighths. Construction I would characterize as war. huge amount of logistics of materials that are moving in. In the case of this project, there are 28 individual buildings in the project. Uh, for, for a large percentage of the construction period, every one of those buildings has been under construction at the same time. Everything's happening at once, and the only way that you can control an operation like that is with a lot of sort of military organized skill. I would guess that there's about 900 people working here. The individual building contractors, their subcontractors, Disney people that are, that are from Imagineering. So it's a, it's a very, almost a fine art process that's, that's superimposed onto this really rigid military um, construction process. 
and that I think is what makes the Disney project. I'm standing in front of an exact reproduction of California's famous Chinese theater, sort of the Cinderella Castle of Hollywood Boulevard here at the Disney MGM Studios theme park. You'd be amazed at the amount of time and effort that went into building this monument to Tinseltown, circa 1930s. Even the celebrity prince, well, Pee Wee Herman. We'll be right back. And I'm telling you, this is Dream Street. After looking at it, this is Dream Street. This is where the action is. And this is where the fun is, ladies and gentlemen. And it doesn't make any difference how old you are. Just walk in here, and immediately, you're 30 years younger. It's a Ford, not a Mona Lisa. Ah, but her name is Mona Lisa. Her style is Ford. Well, we're really trying to create a new type of entertainment for Disney World. We're really going to create a mood, more of a mood with performers than I think has ever been done before. I usually explain it as a little bit of a cross between a traditional theme park and a renaissance fair. Disney conducted a nationwide search for some new and different kind of characters. Send help! Send help somebody! Exactly what is your problem? We've taken uh, the place, Hollywood Boulevard, that is like our Main Street USA. And we've peopled it with the citizens of Hollywood of the 40s, post-war era. And these are characters that live and breathe and react uh, as though they're just a part of that place. So it's more than just guests coming into a really interestingly designed space. We now have the living, breathing citizens of that place for them to interact with. A cast of eccentric residents on Hollywood Boulevard, along with their cartoonish surroundings, lets you know, even without consulting your theme park map, that you have just stepped into another place in time. According to the Disney imagination, it's the golden era of Hollywood, and you're part of the action. Everyone should have one of those hats, absolutely a lovely line to open a book with. We've got uh, a starlet who's going to ask a, a guest to improvise a scene for an audition that she has later. With Sid Coenga, whose house is still on Hollywood Boulevard, and Sid Coenga has Coenga's one-of-a-kind shop, and he sells not so much the memorabilia, though he does sell that scripts and costumes and props and stuff from the movies, but there's a story with each one of those, and Sid knows all those stories. How are you? You like the movies? We got a lot of movie stuff in here. Here at the new Disney MGM Hollywood, Studio... did you get back to Hollywood? <laughs> you're looking wonderful. Well, so you're you. going to call Melrose, right? So... Tell me something. Can I interject one word here? Sure. Talent, talent, talent. Darling, you're looking wonderful. Love your hair that Thank length. You. Don't change. You're beautiful. Okay. Well, you never know who you'll meet here on Hollywood Boulevard. Maybe I'll be a star. We've really tried to recreate, I think, the glamour and excitement of Hollywood. And actually, what we've probably done is we've created a Hollywood that never existed. It's better than probably Hollywood was. It certainly is better than a lot of Hollywood is now. Um, but it's to fulfill our image of what Hollywood in its golden age, whenever you want to select that period, was. Art Deco and California crazy structures on Hollywood Boulevard are a humorous testament to the times, but their design and development was no laughing matter. A tremendous amount of thought was at the foundation of every zany building. Certainly, if, if the Disney company wanted to build a dinosaur, that looked realistic, 
uh, we could do so. But again, the, the feeling, you have to capture the feeling for 1940s Hollywood, and, uh, and I think that's going to work very well. The Brown Derby is probably the most famous restaurant in Hollywood and is really tied to the glamour period of Hollywood. So there we went back to the source and created in, in detail the Brown Derby from Hollywood and Vine. And it will have the caricatures of the stars and um, a lot of the props and light pictures and things that, that are part of the original restaurant. Then other restaurants like behind me, the Prime Time Cafe, we invented that concept. What we wanted to do there was pay homage to classic situation comedies from the 50s. And so what we've created are a series of 1950s kitchens that you eat in, and all the waitresses will be dressed like moms from those shows. And throughout the restaurant, we have TV monitors where you'll be able to see clips from a lot of those classic shows. It takes attention to all the little ingredients, all the little things, and the props and the pieces that form the entire form that you're looking at. And uh, without attention to those details, uh, without maybe being able to put, point your finger at it, you will know that something isn't quite right. According to Bob Jolly, the Chinese theater on Hollywood Boulevard is the ultimate example of such meticulous attention. I can't think of hardly any structure that has more detail to it. Because it was destined to be the focal point of the Disney MGM Studios, as well as being an authentic piece of California history, there was never a random thought involved in the creation of the Chinese theater. The Disney Imagineers devoted weeks and months to study and research of the existing California building in hopes of recreating it exactly in its original form. We feel it even looks better today than the original one in California. It's brand new. Uh, the original one has lost some of its detail due to age and weather and, and other conditions. And we have it back in its, its heyday and its glory. You know what I think you've done is, is uh, captured the, the uh, dream of Hollywood. Well, everything about this facility is entertainment, whether it is actually the entertainment we're making or the entertainment that people are going to have who come and see the entertainment we're making. It's all kind of a, a package of, uh, of Disney entertainment, which is basically what we're about. One of the most entertaining of all Disney MGM Studios theme park attractions is the great movie ride inside the Chinese theater. It was the first idea that surfaced from the original concept team to take guests through the most golden moments in film history and actually put them in the middle of the scenes. Of course, the first obstacle was deciding which of all the moments are most golden. We would get locked in a conference room and we would hammer on lists of, of um, literally hundreds of films, you know, what are what are the great westerns and we'd, we'd make a list of, of uh, 50 great westerns with a hundred stars that should be in those western movies and then realize that you're trying to fit this into a 90,000 square foot building which is a huge building but you're going to try to fit all of western movies plus six or seven other genres of movies. Once the concept was hammered out Disney audio animatronics experts were challenged to do their part in the creation of Disney's most ambitious ride-through attraction ever. The demand for sophistication had never been greater because for the first time in history,
audio animatronics players would star opposite live actors. For all the audio animatronic figures, we held voice auditions at the studio in California. Um, and they met hundreds of actors auditioned and um, we narrowed it down to a few and um, in some cases for instance with the Waynes and the Cagneys representatives of their family listened to the tapes with us at our recommendation and approved or disapproved the voices I tail it out of here go right ahead if that's what you're on mind to do it's a performance you know, it's, it's more than just a, a statue I mean he moves he talks and uh, uh, it was a little eerie for me, frankly. Who killed my sister? Who killed the Witch of the East? Was it you? Actually, the, the Wicked Witch of the West figure is the most advanced audio animatronic figure that Disney has done so far. And it really is amazing how quickly and how lifelike the movements are in the figure. Could move much faster and stay more stable. It's a figure that has the most movement in the whole show. I think it has 17 body functions. We debated a long time about horror and sort of the violent side of the movies, and we didn't want to leave that out, you know, so we sort of selected the most horrifying movie monster that we could think of. Does the great movie ride live up to expectations? Kleenex is going to double its business on, on that. It is so nostalgic, it's so warm, and when you get to the Casablanca scene, I mean, no one's going to hold back. When you combine phenomenal new technologies with traditional Disney and put guests on the stage, the outcome is amazing. For example, Superstar Television has members of the audience on the screen rubbing elbows with Lucy, tossing cream pies with the Three Stooges, fielding pitches with Sam Malone on the set of Cheers, and the entire 30-minute show leaves you wondering, how'd they do that? What's nice about it is that the audience gets to become active, gets a step in front of the cameras. And this is like a rare opportunity for anybody. I mean, people work their whole lives to become actors and get up on stage and hear the cheers of the crowd. We're going to, you know, in two minutes, you're going to be up on stage and you're going to be a star. Sorry, what can we do for you, officer? I'm Detective Mullins, and this is my partner, Bobby Hopkins. What was your least favorite that you, picture that you did, and then maybe after you did it, said, maybe I shouldn't have done it? Was there one? No, as long as they pay me, I'm pretty happy. <laughs> The Monster Sound Show is an outstanding example of what the new Disney technology can do with audio. It has audience volunteers actually laying in the sound effects to a squeaking, creaking, crashing horror flick. And the outcome generally leaves the audience howling. Whoops. You never really think about sound in a picture. It's something you kind of take for granted. And I think when they come to our show, they'll see that it's a, it's a lot of work. It's a tough job putting in sound. And if it's done right, you don't notice it. If it's not done right, you it sticks out like a sore thumb. I don't know. I think people are basically hams, especially when they come to our park. Uh, 
uh, they'll get a sense of audience participation in all of our shows. And uh, they're shy at first, but once you pick them and you get them up on stage, it's amazing. They come to life. If they get it right, it doesn't work as well. Um, when the door knocker goes off and people miss it by a few seconds, it always gets a big laugh because it's just out of the ordinary. If people hit it and it's on the mark, um, you don't think anything of it. But they, they don't get it too often, but that's part of the fun of it. Uh, one picture's worth about 6,000 sounds in our show. Sound plays a major role just about everywhere you go in the new Disney MGM Studios theme park. It's come a long way since Jimmy McDonald was doing the voice of Mickey and making up the effects as he went along. Uh, Mickey would go down here and try to start his old car, and it would be... Then I'd take it away with a half the trombone going... The damn thing and stop. Then you have to go again. And it would go on and on. But with that, we'd add the, the syrup picture. So after this, then this would be added. That was a little six cylinder. All of this stuff going at the same time, making Mickey's car. No wonder Minnie didn't want to mind go out riding in that thing every Sunday. Quite a stunt. Sound isn't the only wizardry that went into the making of the 2,000-seat Indiana Jones epic stunt spectacular. It took a team of 25 designers to come up with this one, and building it was a seemingly impossible feat in itself. Well, it's it's like a stage play, it's like a, a play or some kind of you know a regular show that's put on. I enjoy it. You know, it's different, completely different from anything I've done before. I think we're going to make it a little bit more realistic and make it more. Uh, so that you understand how stunts are done. Well, it's really a stunt show that we're doing under a roof, but outside. So all the sets have to be able to operate like, like a regular indoor theater set, but also be able to withstand hurricanes, rain, thunder, whatever. Yeah. And uh, on top of that, we have a lot of very ambitious stunts with uh, uh, gas flames, big explosions, very violent physical crashes and uh, things like that. And the variety of people that we need for the show, um, we need actors that can do stunts and we needed stunt people that can act. We selected some people from the circus and we selected people for, from, the, from the dance field uh, and put them into an extensive training program. I find it very exciting. I think, uh, I think our only problem is that we don't have enough seats in the grandstand to take care of the people. It took me back to childhood and made me remember how wonderful it is to have the freedom to live fantasy. The enormously creative thing that our Walt Disney Imagineers have in effect done that is very subtle is that the line is actually blurred between the tour and between the production. You're going to be so absorbed in this, you're going to be so entertained by it that you're not going to stop and say, this is tour. And this is production. From the top, it all looks like one big happy Mickey face. But the truth is, there are two sides to the Disney MGM Studios theme park. One is all fun and fantasy, shows, rides, and adventures. The other is the reality of movies in the making. By design, they are a perfect blend. That's not to say the backstage tour side of the theme park doesn't impart its share of fantasy and illusion. For after all, isn't that what great films are all about? 
A special effects tank show reveals that those storm-tossed boats on the big screen aren't all they're splashed up to be. And another demonstration of mechanical and optical wizardry has kids from the audience starring in a B-movie. Catastrophe Canyon on the backlot tour of the Disney MGM Studios theme park is an outrageous display of special effects. The Disney dreamers and doers did such a magnificent job on this one, it's hard to believe it's not meant to be believed. The rock work requirements for Catastrophe Canyon were unprecedented. Ultimately, the structure had to withstand the impact of 20,000 gallons of water in each canyon every three minutes. That's taking about a few million years of geology time putting it together in one week. So we have a real consideration of how we put this thing together so that it'll last year after year. Of course, Bob Jolly, the aging process specialist, had a final say on appearances. As usual, with an eye toward anticipated guest response. He recalled a similar project in the Magic Kingdom just a decade before. We finished Big Thunder Mountain and I listened to a little lady explaining to her husband that they had hauled all those big rocks out there from Arizona. <laughs> and I, I didn't correct her. Uh, Catastrophe Canyon is basically a collection of the, all the kinds of large-scale physical effects and special effects incorporated in filmmaking, used in filmmaking, uh, brought together in this one thrill attraction on the backstage tour. We're uh, 18 months, actually, from uh, first concept through installation from what we have here today. But uh, basically, this was a challenge for Michael Eisner to come up with, as I said before, the large-scale kinds of physical effects and bring a thrill attraction to the backstage tour. We overdid everything. Great to see guests see this for the first time and recoil and, and fright. I think one of the interesting things about this is, uh, and one of the thrilling aspects is that we've reached that point where the guests actually are not quite sure whether we're in control or not. I think I'd like to hear them say, take two. <laughs> you know, let's do it again. We've been on these rides, which are literally incredible. incredible. Actually, I grew up in New York, and uh, our back lot looks more like New York than New York does. Aside from being a popular part of the guest tour, New York City Street is an extraordinary television and movie set. All of the Hollywood sets always ended in a building. You know, they were a T or something. So you never got a feeling or an extension or a vista of the city. So my idea there was to, was to do a, a scenic perspective they would at least give one angle here that, that you had a feeling that there was a big city around this set. You know how you can tell it's a studio, guys? High curb. Always you can tell it's a studio shot. High curb. Actually, Gene is right, but he's not quite right. You can always tell it's a studio because the curves are lower than they would be in a real city. He has the right noun, but the wrong adjective, as usual. No, those curves are high. Those curves are lower than they would be in a real city, Gene. Well, there's a we disagree. The fact of it is, this street is designed in such a way that it can easily be converted to a Chicago or Boston street, curbs and all, whatever the shooting script requires. However, a word of caution to producers, keep the Disney cleanup crew informed. When Ben was here shooting, just to tell you something about the Walt Disney Company, 
and she shot, which you'll see in a little while, you've seen already, the lottery. We shot it on the New York street, and the night before Beth came out to shoot, they made the New York street look like a New York street really looks. They garbage, graffiti, a lot of stuff on the ground. They had it all dressed to look exactly the way it would look today in New York City. Went home to go to bed to get up early the next morning, 5 o'clock, to come in to shoot the film. When they got here the next morning, it was completely cleaned up. <laughs> Walt Disney cleaning crew looked at the street and said, this is too dirty for Walt Disney World. Clean the entire thing up. Here's another convertible street with recognizable houses from movies like Splash 2 and television shows like The Golden Girls. Actually, the backlot streets, the three Disney MGM Studio sound stages, and the post-production facilities were officially open for business in the summer of 1988. A ceremonious event which had guests all over the Walt Disney World Resort seeing Burt Reynolds and Lonnie Anderson drawing pictures over at the beach. The stars of Win, Lose, or Draw were seen on location all week long. Carol Burnett did a show. Siskel and Ebert. Everyone gave the new studios a big thumbs up. And the action's been rolling ever since. So just raise your hands and let's get going. There's no question about it. There is uh, uh, there's nothing that we can't uh, produce here in a matter of hours. We have inside our own uh, uh, borders uh, the ability to build almost anything, move almost anything, design almost anything. Um, and from our own nurseries to our own phone, extensive wardrobe shops that, that service uh, the, uh, the other theme parks and, and uh, facilities down here. Uh, when you turn those to the support of movie and television production, uh, it's unmatched anywhere in the world. The world's largest working wardrobe with over two million pieces helps clothe the shows in production. And it's also a tailor-made part of the backstage studio tour. Guests are also invited to eavesdrop on shows in progress through glass-enclosed corridors. The stage studio complex is an art form in its own right, designed by Milt Foreman, one of the foremost specialists in the industry. What we had to do was design a stage that could efficiently and easily service film production and television production without compromising the needs of either system. What it is is the integration and culmination of all of the technology and creativity that was developed by studio people all over the world. On stage, on location, and inside the animation building, guests of the Disney MGM Studios theme park can watch behind-the-scenes scenes of movies in the making. For the first time ever, animators are in animation for the world to see. Guests can watch how classic cartoon characters can spring to life from nothing but a blank sheet of paper. Well, I think we have a building here that's absolutely unique in the world in terms of the, the notion that on one side of a glass wall is a real Honest to Pete animation studio which is making movies as you walk through. On the other side, the guests are brought in through an, an art gallery of some of the artwork that going clear back to Snow White and Fantasia. 
And then they go through an eight-minute film with Walter Cronkite and Robin Williams, who, uh, in a very entertaining way, give you an idea of the process of animation. But then you come out into this very large space in which you will see animators and special effects people and cleanup people and background painters and inkers and painters and camera people all at work. Quite literally, they will be making a film in front of your eyes. We're going back into the featurette business, which we have been out of for more than 10 years. And uh, they're going to feature uh, uh, Mickey and the primary Disney characters. And so we're very excited about that. And the very first thing we're doing down here is a brand new Roger Rabbit cartoon, which will be six minutes and will be theatrical. Uh, the next one after that is very likely to be a half an hour show with Mickey and Donald and Goofy and all the traditional characters, which haven't been animated uh, in new material for about 20 years. I mean, you have all these artists who dedicate long years of their lives. It takes, as I said, much longer to do an animated film than a live action film. And they dedicate uh, big chunks of their lives to get these things done, to make the characters come alive. And there's that warm feeling, as I say, that sticks with an audience after they've seen one of those classic films. And that it's basically an emotional venture animation. So when I came on board, we talked about that, and I really felt that responsibility that we're, we are representing the Disney magic here, and that's basically an emotional thing. It's not impressing people with technique. It's having them feel something when they walk out of the theater. You have to breathe the life into it. I think it's got to come out of the heart more than anything else. It's got to come from the heart, through your arm, into your hand, and onto the paper. What you're doing is just a drawing, a cartoon on the screen, that you're trying to get people to cry and laugh and believe. I don't think you can mechanically work it out. You've got to feel it to make it really come across and magically be alive up there. And there was this bear fight sequence, and, and I really wanted to express the feeling of, of what that is like, to, to be in the middle of this bear fight. and. I had never, you know, of course, been attacked by a bear before, so how are you, how you going to know that? Well, I, my first thing I did was go to the library and checked out books on bear attacks and reading on that and go, oh, this is horrible. Oh, the bear just ripped this guy's scalp right off. on. Oh, I better draw the bear bigger. So I'd draw him bigger and meaner, and, and then I'd read some more stories and go, oh, i got to draw him bigger. So there's no space left on the page except just all bear. And... I started doing that and I tried to capture that feeling. It was, it was great because I felt like I was animating something I'd experienced. It's really important for an animator is you've got to get, make the experiences real to yourself and then put it on the paper. The audience is so taken in by what they see, they don't think of it as a drawing anymore. That was a big thing to me, making the audience get involved in this and caring about what was happening to the characters. And I remember that night, the premiere of Snow White at the old Carthay Circle, the laugh just came in a steady stream. But when Snow White bites that poison apple, to see those dwarfs come up and take off their hats and get down on their knees and then back away. Everybody in that theater was crying. I heard the sobs. I couldn't believe it. It's supposed to be just a cartoon. Everybody's crying. It's really a neat feeling to see the audience really feel for your character up on the screen. It's really creating characters that you can uh, believe in and you can, you know, laugh with and cry for. And...
that's what uh, Disney's best animation is all about. So we think it's fitting that on this day, we proudly dedicate the magic of Disney animation and declare it officially open. And of course, what would the future of animation be without Mickey Mouse? Where is Mickey? Oh, there he is, starring in the Walt Disney Theater, which is the final stop on the backstage studio tour. Oh, hi, everybody! It's not the final stop for the Disney organization and their plans for the future. There is always more to come. It's uh, already on the drawing boards, uh, uh, you know, is a, a whole uh, expansion plan, and uh, uh, it is uh, clearly a good business unto itself, and so uh, I hope that we will continue to, to expand the facilities and, and add additional stages and, um, and really have it work as a facility beyond what it can service for uh, uh, our own needs. We're already talking about phase two and expansion and really looking forward to it because the guests keep coming and I'll tell you, as long as they keep coming, we're gonna be doing a lot of very exciting things and bringing a lot of dreams into reality and I think the day we rest on our laurels, that's when we're in trouble and I don't think we ever will and as I always say, we're just getting started. Well, first I'll use the famous Walt Disney line, which is kind of a cliche now, but I'll use it anyway, which is, he said Disneyland would never be finished. I guarantee that this place will never be finished. There are a hundred ideas that are still on drawing boards that didn't get used here yet. Not because they weren't good ideas, but because we didn't have time to do them. We've been working for five years on many, many different things, and it's all happening this year. Obviously, the Disney MGM Studios theme park opens now and is, a, is the tentpole for 89. Pleasure Island, which is the first nighttime entertainment uh, arena, 250,000 square feet of nighttime entertainment with maybe 15 different attractions, uh, discos, roller skating rings, comedy stores. We just opened our 14 movie theaters. We're opening the biggest and most extensive water park in the world called Typhoon Lagoon this summer. Uh, in addition, toward the end of the year, Metropolitan Life's Wonders of Life Pavilion opens in Epcot Center, which is a fantastic a new pavilion using our technology that we did with the Star Tours simulators. Norway opened just recently. 5,000 hotel rooms are opening. As Walt Disney said, you have to pour it in there. Keep the show on the road. When we get back, you're going to see the grandest grand opening since the opening of Epcot Center. My favorite's the animation. It's a lot of interesting stuff. And Robin Williams and uh, Walter Cronkite is so gr are so great. But this is, uh, is going to be a big hit. The stars came out in grand style.
We're thrilled to have Bette Miller be here to dedicate this uh, fabulous tour. is a wonderful opportunity and thrill for the Walt Disney Company. This studio tour uh, that is being dedicated today is so complete that most everyone that goes through it will probably qualify for a guild card at the end of it. Um, I'm very, very proud to have been associated with a, a, a company that uh, provides such marvelous opportunity for so many artisans and so many artists to do their best level of work. And I, I would just want to say to all of them and to Michael and Jeffrey, uh, thanks for the opportunity and I wish them all greatest, greatest success with this most new and exciting adventure here at Walt Disney World. Let's dedicate! On this 29th day of April, 1989, we dedicate the Disney MGM Studios Backstage Tour Lights, Camera, Action! The four-day premiere of the Disney MGM Studios theme park was spectacular. The Disney MGM Studios theme park dream has come true. Hooray for Disney World, that crazy valley, hooray Disney World. Our movies are magic, our cameras are rolling, the stars, they're gonna be here. And any man or child can take the stage, it doesn't matter what your age you're in. And our Disney MGM Studios, where anyone of your career and bar could be a star, come on. Chili Cotties and Paducas to catch the excitement and get their name up in lights. Mommies and daddies, all the young kiddies, movie magic is such a wonderful sight. Hooray for Disney World, you'll see the greatest stars of yesterday. And if you think that you can be an actor, you'll be an actor, you won't have to wait. I guess this is the place to come to be discovered. It's nice to know there's a brand new theme park and a working movie studio right here in our backyard. The Disney MGM Studios theme park. It's a spectacular dream come true right here in Florida. Hooray for Disney World, that crazy valley, hooray Disney World. Our movies are magic, our cameras are rolling, the stars, they're gonna be here. And any man or child can take the stage. It doesn't matter what your age, you rate for Disney World And our Disney MGM Studios Where any one of you from near and far could be a star Come on and have some fun Actually fulfilling listener requests, that is the good stuff This has been the good stuff Thank you for listening to Butter and Baby. For personalized trip planning services and expertise, please contact Becca via email at Becca at AdventuresOutThroughTravel.com, on Twitter at AIOT Travel, or visit our website, AdventuresOutThroughTravel.com, where you can get more information, read our blog, 
subscribe to our newsletter, and request a quote. Let them know Butter and Bacon sent you. You can follow Butter and Bacon on Twitter at Butter and Bacon, on Instagram as Butter and Bacon Podcast, and please contact us via email at butterandbaconpodcast at gmail.com. To get the good stuff delivered hot and fresh, please subscribe to Butter and Bacon in your podcast app of choice. Jingle bell, jingle bam!